You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 403 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. This is Seth Miller hosting this week, joined by the erstwhile Fosma Moon. Foz, how you doing? Doing well on yourself. Not too shabby. I'd like to point out that Foz is representing uh, our group in the queue this week, waiting to pay his respects to the Queen. I will be leaving before the madness uh, ceremony start, but it's been interesting. There, there is the queue. I mean, have you have you walked by the queue? Oh, I rode the bus by, and it, they, at about 1 o'clock, one, and about 2 o'clock local time, they started announcing in the tube stations that they are no longer accepting people in the queue. The queue is full. The queue is full. Which naturally leads to a queue to join the queue. Yes. I have never seen so many people in one spot. And uh, I was at the Intercontinental, and I was smart enough to move to the airport tonight. Yeah. But um, we couldn't get a late check out in our original room. They had to move rooms because there was a contingent that booked, a diplomatic contingent that booked a block of rooms. And they needed them contingent, like contiguous or whatever. Yeah. And I either just see a mount of diplomats and military and security people walking around there right now as nuts. Yeah. Exciting. Um, we'll get into that uh, a little more later as well. First, though, want to follow up on a few conversations we've had over the last few weeks. Heard from uh, some airport employees, airline employees, industry folks about a few things. So we talked about the Bluetooth and the airdrop nudes uh, conversation and why the airlines don't like lock that down on uh, devices. Yep. I've since been informed that the default for airdrop is contacts only now. So new devices at least have that. So that means someone went out of their way to change it to be accept from everybody to allow for uh, the nudes to be received and on the flight deck. So, which raises some questions, but also I had a uh, flight attendant inform me that typically they actually, or not typically, but from time to time, they are actually asked by the flight deck to airdrop a photo in with their reporting trouble or, you know, a maintenance something or whatever. So there sort of is a reason sometimes to have it set to receive from everybody. Interesting. Now, I guess the first question I'd ask is, even though it's the default, is it preserved when people do upgrades? I would assume so. I would, I would assume when you do an upgrade, it maintains whatever you have. Yeah, that, and that's what I was implying. So if you if you had an older version and you it yeah. was the default, it's probably still preserved. It, but either way, the, the, the O just sent me an image of it, like through the flight deck door thing is kind of cool, but also kind of weird to me. You'd think that'd be something like they'd find a way to work into the crew app or something. I don't know. You would think it would simply because they want record of it for corporate as well. Yeah, I will say, maybe I mentioned this on the last call also, but when I was I was on the uh, JetBlue 321LR out of London and broke my seat, I like reclined and it got stuck, fully reclined. And the good news is there were plenty of empty seats because I was trying to take a nap. And I was like, you know, sheepishly admitted to the flight attendants that I broke my seat. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I mean, we're going to have to let you out here, Mr. Miller. Uh, <laughs> anyway, they, they took it very well, needless to say. Um, but eventually they uh we got to the point where i went and took a nap in another seat and they actually during the hour i was asleep or whatever took pictures sent them down to tech ops on the ground chatted back and forth and figure out how to fix it so there's some good that comes out of this well that's, i mean there's definitely you know like it's like anything else in technology there's good uses of it and there's yeah. bad uses of it but they didn't airdrop it down to tech ops so you know win some lose some that um, would be impressive yeah uh, next one up, we had the fare calculation and IATA city codes. Uh, this was, I think, last week's conversation about Newark getting booted out of New York for fares um, and the complexities there. I had someone from a company that does uh, ticketing, say, like an OTA or pricing engines, mention that it's coming on October 3rd and they are not at all sure that their systems are going to support it. So they're trying, they're working on it, and it's sort of, you know, six one half a dozen the other. Do you do two queries now or do you do two, two queries then, depending on how your 
structuring the fairs and how they're set up. So that was exciting. So two queries like NYC and New York? If I say NYC-SFO, you've got to now do NYC to SFO and EWR to SFO, um, one for scheduling and one for fares. And the old way you had to do one for fares and one for scheduling. So potentially. Has there been any explanation as to why they made this change? Uh, The airlines want it. So we can only assume it's so that they can make more money. Yeah, the airlines want it. I mean, I would see why United wants it. Right. And United, so it's been a few years that this has been in process, it's taken them three years to actually get it done and like approved and set a deadline and it's been pushed a couple times. So like many things in aviation, it moves slowly, but this has been a long time coming and they're they're ready now, or so they claim. So are like are we taking bets that this is gonna break United's website? I mean, are we gonna blame it on this or just the fact that United's website breaks from time to time? Like well, hourly. Yeah, not that's a given, but <laughs> I'm willing to bet that this will have disastrous consequences on their website. Yeah, I'm not know about disastrous, but I expect that there'll be some some impact. And it's uh a Tuesday it takes effect? Is that possible? Right now. Monday, the 3rd, October 3rd. It's like a Monday. That's when we're all flying back. Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, right now, there will, half the time their website doesn't even let you finish buying a ticket because of their DDoS settings. Nice. So, their security people have gone a little crazy. Yeah. You're like, what? It kills your session because it thinks you're attacking them? Yeah. You, you'll be in the middle of like, you'll be in step three of buying a ticket and it just, you get blocked. That sounds healthy. Oh yeah! After you, it literally, like, you'd ask you for you know, confirms your information. You get to the payment page, which can, <laughs> next, and it just sits and sits and sits. Excellent. Uh, so anyway, we'll see how that goes. But keep your eyes peeled a couple weeks from now for that. And then finally, on the follow up section, we talked a few weeks about about joint ventures and corporate fares and metal neutrality. Um, a major airline representative reached out to let me know that the they've updated the processes for those uh, contracts, and typically the corporate contracts now are also metal neutral. At least at their airline. So we talked about whether metal specificity or not. So just something to know. So, but that's something that's happening now. So they weren't always like they were not always like that. But that is the current case for the big boys. So I will assume because they finally have you know the computers to let them do it better that way. But who knows? The ability to account get discounts is probably the bigger thing. Yeah. So with that covered, let's talk about some new things. Uh, Tailwind, the airline that uh, the seaplane airline, I promised to fly to College Park, Maryland. Yeah, this seems like they had to change of heart. Yeah. So this was, someone mentioned it on a couple weeks ago on Twitter now and was like, hey, when did they switch it? And it, they have now decided they're going to fly to Dulles instead of College Park to start service. Uh, last minute change. And uh, they had to delay the launch of service by two weeks also as part of that last minute change, which is also not great. Obviously, they've offered refunds and said they're helping people with rebookings, but I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, but they've offered refunds to everybody affected or re- free rescheduling of service. But yeah, go ahead. I was say, how is Dulles convenient to the district now? It's not, but it's where they could get service. But they made this big yeah. thing about me wanting to be close to the district. Well, now it's to it's to help the high net worth individuals who live in Loudoun County get to New York quickly and easily, okay, and comfortably. Um, but the, the the super interesting part of it is basically when talking to uh, their executives about it, he's like, "Listen, we went through the paperwork. We did every single thing that was written down." And then we got a phone call, you know, 10 days ago, so a couple weeks ago now, uh, telling us that there were some unwritten rules that had to be adhered to and that we weren't qualified for them. And that's somewhere between amusing and sketchy. Um, the only thing I, the other thing he sort of hinted at is that basically because College Park Airport doesn't have commercial service and hasn't for so long, yep. and it has such a small runway that no one expected it ever would, that when all the new rules were written post 9-11, no one considered that it might ever become a commercial airport, so they didn't really put the rules in place for it 
But now that someone's talking about putting commercial service there, they want to add additional rules for it because like the other DCA also has those rules and the other airports have those rules. And so uh, that's more or less what he's saying is happening. And it wasn't written down, but now they're trying to get there. What kind of rules are we talking about? Uh, they're secret security rules, and I was not uh, privy to them. I see. Okay. With security related rules. No, one one would assume. Okay. Now, are these, I can't remember, are there planes big enough where they need TSA or are they like? Yeah, they're eight seaters, um, Cessna caravans. So you don't have to go through TSA check. Um, You do have to have a, like a TSA light screening kind of thing. But, um, you know, most FBOs offer that level of service. So it's not that hard. So it's not that. So what are they going to do at Dulles though? They're going to fly out of one of the FBOs there. I think Signature. So, or one of the other ones. So yeah, it's, you know, it sucks for them that, you know, this last minute thing came up. It certainly looks bad um i feel badly for them about that but you know here we go we can't do yeah um united and emirates united united and emirates finally announced their deal emirates flew a triple seven three hundred all the way over to dallas just for the party as opposed to, like an extra one or just upgaged their daily flight i think they flew an extra one over it's nice when you have lots of oil um seems pretty inefficient uh sir tim clark president came over of the airline uh to make the announcement and it's less than I thought it was going to be. Could this be a starting point, though? So that could be it. And right, the the couple things that are interesting to me is that at least right now it would appear that onward code share connections will for Emirates passengers. So the Emirates code on UA Metal will only be at San Francisco, Chicago, and Houston, not at LA, not at uh, Dallas. Dallas. It's not at Newark. Uh, United is launching its own metal on Newark to Dubai, and the verbiage in the release is, I'll say stilted, it's it's weird in, in so much as it calls attention to the fact that apparently United Mileage Plus members will only be able to earn on Emirates Metal if it is an onward connection from Dubai tied to the United flight. So you have to fly United into Dubai and then connect onward to be able to earn points, which seems like super limiting to me. Yeah, like, why bother? Right. Okay. I mean, so, fun. but, and, and, well, okay, maybe not why bother, but why make this sound like the biggest partnership you've announced in the last 10 years? Well, I mean, the industry is running out of ideas at this point, so. Yeah, it's just, it's, it like, the level to which they hyped this up and then ended up with this pretty mediocre offer is kind of crazy. The other thing that's interesting to me is, like, I can't tell what routes United will put its code on for Emirates Metal, um, and whether it will also be only those three airports or not, the San Francisco here and, uh, Houston, they would at least do Dulles for the uh, diplomatic traffic, right? So that's what I'm trying to figure out: is can is where they're going to put their code, and will it be for they need they need the UA code on the Dulles flight if they want to sell it for GSA for city pairs for the government contracts. That's how JetBlue sold it with their code on Emirates Metal. Um, but the other thing that's unclear is will United put its code on if you're not connecting to or from a United flight, which not all code share deals allow. There's, there's a lot of Serious questions about this. Yeah, like how, like, and I presume if there's codes on it, you'll earn my little stuff on it. Not necessarily, um, because I mean, you'd hope, but if that's the case, then no, I wouldn't expect the United Code on any Emirates flights into the United States, because at least right now you can't earn miles on any of those. I think they're still figuring crap out. Yeah, I mean the the answer I got on Twitter was from I think it was Ethan Clapper from the Points Guy who talked to uh, something Luke Bonder, which is one of the United executives at the event, was basically we're just getting started, but. It still seems bizarre to me that, you know, you'd start this week first, what seems to have been such a major announcement. But they're also not starting their flight until the end of March, so they've got a long time. 
Yeah, and I'm not sure when the other poacher stuff takes effect. I haven't even seen the application come through. Because uh, like everything, those applications have to be approved by the DOT. Yeah, like why even announce it six months out? Ian, they needed they needed press this month. How about just getting your operations on time? That'll be, get you good press. No, well, on time, yeah. it'd be a miracle, right? But it still won't get you good press. I'm sure it will if they can, given how badly it is. WestJet actually, I think it was WestJet put out a release the other day saying, "Hey, our flights weren't nearly that delayed this month." Um, just to your point, it didn't get quite the coverage as some of their other stuff. But anyway, um, so let's talk about California. Oof, they're chasing people out. It, uh, American Airlines says it's closing its San Francisco flight attendant base um, and reducing some capacity there. Uh, some of that will shift to Alaska Airlines covering, obviously, as a one world partner. And also they have that like the partnership that they announced a couple of years ago at Los Angeles and at Seattle. I don't remember if San Francisco was included in it or not. They're like the JetBlue Northeast Alliance. There's only certain airports covered on the West Coast, but um, that's perhaps one of the options. Yeah, I'm not sure. But the interesting thing is, right, they're closing the the base. They closed their pilot base a few years ago. But the one call out that was very interesting is they made it very clear <laughs> that you cannot apply to transfer to the LAX. Okay. Which this, I, wonder, I almost wonder if this goes back to the Virgin America ruling about breaks. So I, I think you probably are right. Well, if they could close the LAX base too, that would be crazy. But the ruling you're talking about, there was a court ruling that basically came down to uh, flight attendants are entitled to a lunch break or a whenever work break every four hours. You know, and four hours is lunch and two hours is uh, like a 15 minute smoke break, right? Right, exactly. Um, and this was California employment law for hourly employees, which cabin crew are. And basically, the airlines tried to fight it, saying that it's preempted by federal law, which regulates airline activity. And the courts said, no, it's not. I believe the U.S. Supreme Court decided that, right? I actually don't know that if it was the U.S. Supreme Court or the state Supreme Court. But yeah, try to check. But it has gone pretty senior as far as court rulings go. And the concern there is like, if that's the case, how do you run a longer flight with a crew that's based in California? I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's it's strange because every other case, state law never trumps federal law for aviation. Why this one does it? Yeah. Sorry. So uh, California rule. Yeah. Uh, the Supreme Court declined to take it up back in July. So it's letting the uh, state law stand, the state ruling stand. Which is interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think overall, right, this is, while the flight attendants have brought this in an effort to bolster their case, I think in the long run, this is going to hurt them because what you'll see is probably more uh, short turns only being staffed by California crews and, and, and losing the ability to do long haul and longer trips. That'll be interesting. Yeah. That would be very interesting if like, similar to how airlines can you know, have foreign speaker flights or anything like that. Like, if we staff you on this flight, you get extra breaks, which means we basically have to put an extra person on board. If we have to staff an extra flight attendant on board, it costs us more, so we're just not going to let you work those flights. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, uh, we've got all, all the airlines having major bases, right? There's rumors that at least one of the other majors is also talking about contracting their footprint, um, their bases in the, on the in California. Yeah. But, you know, the ones that'll see minimal impact are likely... Uh, I'd say Southwest and Alaska, because a lot of they're flying in and out of, out of California at short haul. Interesting. Interesting. You, you could very easily like <clears throat> do take a Seattle crew five down to California overnight them and then have them do a transcon and not have all those rules versus having a California-based crew doing the transcon and having to deal with the rules of challenges around that. Yeah, that would be super, super interesting. But I think in the long run, this is going to be a detriment to the California-based folks. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the real question is, does it? remain isolated in California 
or does it spread? And then, you know, arguably that just means higher staffing, which has cost implications, but also potentially service implications on the end on flights as well, right? You have the currently the FAA has that 50 to one rule. So for every 50 seats on board, you need one flight attendant. But this could, in order to keep that number of people actively working at any time, this would potentially increase the number required. So, I mean, it'd be weird to have a 10 minute rest break on a Newark to, to Dallas flight. Oh, I'm so I'm waiting for them to demand a private area for their arrest where they can't be bothered. Well, you can't step outside for a smoke. That's for yeah, sure. exactly. Would you like to step outside? <laughs> um, so yeah, that that'll be fun to watch develop. But we shall see. Uh, Maxon, the seven thirty seven Max. You you want one? I'm sure, you could get a deal on one right now. Boeing has decided that many of the planes it still has in storage are from. Uh, we're destined for airlines in China and is basically conceding defeat on that in some ways, accepting that China does will not actually finalize recertification anytime soon uh, for political reasons. And so is starting to consider some of those aircraft available for sale. I think part of this is to make up for the fact that delivery deliveries are a little backlogged. And right, we talked a little bit about borrowing engines uh, from those planes a few weeks ago to deliver other ones. But now it seems like they're ready to sell the whole frame. I mean, I guess it's especially with how backlog they've been and how much they probably need cash, it's probably not a bad idea. I guess yeah. the question comes up is if and when China recertifies them, what does Boeing do for the people entitled to frames? How long does it take them to sort of backfill the those well, what theoretically should be ready to deliver aircraft? That and do they end up having to pay them? Yeah. And also, it's also interesting to me, some of the things like interiors or... The Chinese planes won't have Wi-Fi on them, but they, so they won't have that hardware installed. But like some of the other stuff of like airplane, you know, an airplane is not a walk-in, pull it off the line commodity. There's a lot of customization that goes into it, right? The 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 options for how the flight deck switches and warnings are configured was a thing that came up with the Max in terms of did they have like the uh, what was the angle of attack disagree indicator was a separate option you had to pay for, right? Right. Like little things like that. I mean, I guess a lot of it's software. So was there pulling them out of storage they can retrofit those options in but which seats do you want which lavatories do you want um what color are the seats like those things are harder to change and so are we gonna have like you can repaint it obviously but like are you gonna get a plane painted for airline x that had airline y's interior on it for some reason and there's other airlines that don't care i was gonna say part of it comes down to right cost like if it's you know if it's an attractive cost then yeah, you take what you can get. Maybe Boeing eats a little bit of the cost to pull the seats out and swap them to something different. And right, Boeing does have its own seating company it can lean on to get some quick turn options. Right. And, you know, it's, or, you know, some of these airlines have their own seating contracts. So will they take the seats out and give the plane without seats to an airline to add the yeah. seats? One of the challenges, that, I mean, it depends very much on the model and the manufacturer, but most seats have longer lead times than you know, right? Like Recaro is probably a bad example because they do, but generally speaking, does not have a warehouse filled with seats somewhere. They have a, they actually do have a couple product lines that they can do like three day lead time on, which is crazy quick. Ricardo, it, it, sorry. Go ahead. But if Ricardo could have a three year lead time, it would be better for the passenger. Yeah. Depends on the model. Um, some of their seats are comfortable. Some are less so. Uh, but now, you know, like they actually have a couple products that are designed for, actually for air, usually it's for airlines doing lease returns that have to return it with seats inside. Mm-hmm. had put in you know highly customized or more expensive seats with screens or whatever that want to keep those for the next air flat aircraft or for spares so they pull those out and they buy a cheaper less comfortable set from Ricaro and just have them put in and those can be Ricaro has some of those that are available on very short notice but generally speaking that's not the case for seats it's, you know weeks to months to get them so but 
you, you raise an interesting point, right? Like, say, say, like, United, right, goes and buys a bunch of specs. Yep. They can replace their 738, so if they just replaced a bunch of seats, just move the seats over to the new frame. Mm-hmm. Right? So there is an opportunity, yeah. right? Yeah, the question is, does United need them, need more planes more quickly, or does anyone else? And I think there's plenty of airlines who want more single-aisle planes. There's definitely demand for that. It's not so much do they need more. It's an opportunity to refresh, right? Like, those United 738s are 23, 24, 25 years old now. Yeah, I mean, United had a schedule for those replacements, and Boeing is more or less on schedule with those. Um, I will say the the United scenario gets to be extra complicated because the seats are actually supposed to start having screens on them now on the IMAX deliveries, and Panasonic, which provides that hardware, was having a terrible supply shortage and was has not been able to provide the screens to put on retrofits yet, and that's going back a few months now. So, uh, you know, it made the announcement last June, May. And has so far retrofit zero aircraft. So the new delivery Max 8s are getting it, but all the old stuff, not so much. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the supply challenges everywhere now. Yeah. So anyway, if you want a Max, call Boeing. They've got some, they've got some ready to go, especially if you don't mind having the paint or seats of a Chinese airline on board. Just go look in the clearance record and uh, paint field. Right. Oh, Brett, right. Excuse me, right and right. Paint field. Well, actually, I wonder how many of these are parked in like, because they had to get these out of there to park them. I wonder how many of these are parked in like Moses Lake or something. Yeah, because they wouldn't be at paint because they've got seven eight stacked up at paint. Yeah, haven't those mo- started? Well, they've started to clear out, but yeah, but British Airways took delivery of a Dash Ten last week, and American Airlines took to- was the first to take delivery. The first one they took is actually finally entered commercial service this week. That's a little exciting. Yeah, so they finished their sort of post delivery induction work and got it into service. So that's exciting. Yeah, on a brief segue under mm-hmm. on the Boeing thing, what is United supposed to do with their three twenties? Because those are probably approaching third year. Those are going to get replaced by the Max 8s. So they can also accelerate that. Yeah. If they need, if they, yeah. Again, but United probably has a timeline for the CapEx that it wants to deal with that is driving a lot of this. But right. yes. Um, Delta Airlines is finally starting to adjust some of its meal service back in favor of the passenger, which is exciting. Uh, in the COVID era, we'll say uh, Premium Select when it launched, which is their business, uh, excuse me, Premium Economy Solution service offer. Yep. Launched with you got Delta One business class meals, and then during the early days of COVID, that switched to you got nothing or you got economy class meals. As of this week, they're switching that back to you're back to getting Delta One meals, but they'll be served in uh, economy class trays. So is it just that they don't want to cater a new menu that they're going back and forth between the two? It mostly comes down to supply challenges, right? They're trying to make sure they can have enough of whatever the meals are and get them in the right uh products are in the right like you know service where one of the challenges they've had those they finished the retrofit or came close to finishing the retrofit of the uh of their wide bodies with premium select during covid which is great but in some cases that means passengers that were expecting this premium meal but there's not galley space for it and so they're fighting with that in terms of being able to put it on you know fancy plates and stuff but why are they struggling why are the like all the other lines have a unique menu for premium economy that's not where are the other that's not true. Most airlines for premium economy pick one or the other. Oh, I haven't seen that. I've always seen a different menu. It's maybe looks a little, and it's usually it's either like the economy meals that are dressed up a little bit, maybe with an appetizer, or it's the business class meal without the appetizer is usually what I've seen. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done that much premium economy, but every time I've done it, it's been different. So yeah, gotcha. that's, that is part of it. But yeah, that, but yes, I mean, simplicity of catering is a big deal right now. Yeah. Anything you can simplify, you'll come out ahead these days. Yeah, and uh, 
The other thing is that Delta finally had brought back uh, buy on board fresh meals for longer flights. So you can buy a chicken salad sandwich or a fruit and cheese plate on board. They're only catering, I think, 2% of the Comfort Plus seats and 5% of economy. So not a lot of them on board. Uh, sit towards the front if you want one. And they are going to bring back free meals on transcon routes. Uh, they're using anything over 2,300 miles as their margin that they use. But basically, transcon service from JFK to San Francisco, LA, and Seattle. Uh, in, you know, I can't remember if it's premium select or comfort plus, uh, but in the premium cab, it's literally just JFK to California, Portland, and Seattle. Uh, they'll get uh, not regular economy, but the, I think it's comfort plus uh, and better gets uh, a comped, and it's not even like a good meal, but it's a comp fresh food market. So that chicken salad sandwich, essentially, um, or the fruit and cheese plate. So that's also coming hopefully by December. But again, it all comes back to they really are, in that case, it's really, again, comes down to can we consistently have enough supply of food, right? They had, uh, they're trying to do this food for sale on flights over 1500 miles, but there's some routes where the outstation 1500 miles away, the kitchens still aren't open yet. Uh, the guy told me one like an island in the Caribbean, St. John's or something like that, St. John, where like they, it should qualify for meals, but they don't, they can't serve them because the kitchen down there doesn't have food and they can't round trip cater it. Interesting. So complex. Uh, boom. Still doesn't have an engine. Shit, bid their engines go bull. Uh, more to the point, this time around, uh, the CEO said they're going to make an engine selection announcement later this, by the end of the year, and they have plenty of options to choose from. While at the same time, a journalist uh, went out and asked everybody, and literally no engine manufacturer has said we're considering it. So Safran, GE, uh, Rolls-Royce, Pratt & Whitney all have said no thank you. What Boom hasn't told you is they're going through a bunch of old airline graveyards and picking engines off the old Concorde. Hey, ooh, that'd be fun. <laughs> uh, probably about the right number for the number of frames they'll manage to sell. <laughs> uh, it's that or they're going to go to Russia because the Russians are getting their engines in place for uh, that 300-something aircraft order we talked about last week. How are they going to get the engines out of Russia? Oh, minor details. Yeah, the whole thing is stupid. Uh, Slightly less stupid, Hart is one of the new electric aircraft companies, has shifted its plans in two significant ways. They had previously proposed a 19-seat all-electric aircraft. The new design is a 30-seater that also includes a lavatory and galley on board and is now hybrid electric. So the, the plan is fully electric. It can run at uh, a range of about 200 kilometers, which you'd like to think mostly wouldn't be flights, but some of them are. Um, in some cases, it's because terrain doesn't let you like a, it's a Scandinavian company. So imagine like hopping down the coast of Norway across the fjords or something like that between islands, not between Newark and Wilkesbury. Uh, but that's one scenario. Uh, if, but the planes also have a traditional fuel, uh, engine or generator on board. I didn't quite understand if it's just something that's generating more electricity or if it's actually powering different propellers. Uh, but that, and it will be designed to run on hundred percent sustainable aviation fuel. So yay, yay, whatever there, um, those will, if you run on the SAFs, you can double the range and use those fully double the range to 400 kilometers. And if you drop from 35 people, or excuse me, from 30 passengers to just 25, Somehow that doubles the range to 800 kilometers. How heavy are these people? Right? Um, what's also interesting about it is they, they're they claiming to be able to charge the plane in under an hour, which is super fast given what is assumed to be the most, the, you know, sort of the volume of megawatt hours or kilowatt hours of power that are going to be on the battery packs. Right? You, you need, there's basic math that says like, you know, if you need to get 
a hundred back in and you can only deliver it 10 an hour, you need 10 hours. Right. So it's, it's gotta be a, yeah, the number of Watts or whatever, the number of megawatts or kilowatt hour kilowatts you're pushing out of those, uh, plugs at the other end has to be much higher. That's going to drive up the battery cost though, because the faster you charge a battery, the faster it dies. Yeah. So your battery replacement, you're going to incur battery replacement cycles much more frequently than if you were to slower cycle, uh, charge up. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about it is that the aerodynamics of it, they're putting the batteries more or less at the belly, but rather they're like sort of taking this sort of cylinder that is the tube that is typically an airplane and chunking it out for lack of a better phrase. Um, and basically like putting a square bit at the bottom that, uh, squaring off a section of the fuselage at the bottom and then putting the batteries in that dead area or in that n- newly created area. And I'll put a link in so you can see a picture of it that certainly describes it better than the thousand words I tried to use just there. Um, yeah. So a little less aerodynamic to make that work too, but lets them keep the cargo space or whatever else. The, the visual I have in my mind as you described the alternate yeah. fuel power generator was this meme that I saw two weeks ago with the California heat wave where you a guy had a Tesla and attached to the back was a gas generator. Nice. <laughs> Defeats yeah. the entire purpose. But... Sure, but you know, gets the job done. Uh, there's a guy, a doctor, used a Rivian, which is another branded electric vehicle. Same thing that has like an inverter on it so you can plug into it. They were, He lost power at his doctor's office and he had a guy in for a vasectomy. So he plugged in his equipment and run it off of that. Hey, if it works. Yeah. Um, Ferris Bueller. Bueller. Excellent movie. Excellent movie. Um, a Washington Post reporter decided to go out and repeat that itinerary. Turns out you can almost do it. Oh, well. His day off. They started a little earlier than not, and, and, and. But uh, it was pretty close. Uh, obviously, the, the fancy French restaurant no longer exists. That was a problem. Or never existed. That was made up. But they picked a fancy restaurant in the same neighborhood. Um but apparently they managed, they, and they didn't catch the whole baseball game. They only caught like a couple innings at the end. But did he pretend to be the sausage king of Chicago? They did, in fact, make their reservation uh, under that name. I'm blanking on it now. Uh, Abe Froman. Abe Froman, yeah, 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 that's it. Uh, they did make the dinner, re- the lunch reservation under the name Abe Froman. Um, yeah, and even better, they participated in the parade. It's the Steuben Day Parade, which is German heritage. They managed to time it for the actual Steuben Day Parade. Oh, that's awesome. And apparently it's a thing that like you can, and they were dressed as, they actually had three people go out, one dressed as Ferris, one dressed as Sloan and one dressed as Cameron. Great. Apparently it's sort of a thing that you can go up to the floats at, at dressed up as Ferris and be like, Hey, can I join your float? And they'll let you on for the trip <laughs> because the person's coming was, says like they asked and the person that they asked was like, Oh, we've been hoping a Ferris would show up. Oh, wow. That's funny. As they went out, they played the songs, they danced on the thing, did a little twist and shout, and then he had to jump off and leave, just like in the movie. Oh, hysterical. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, so kudos to them. Um, Zip Air is finally coming. Is going to launch Narita to San Jose, California in December, part of Japan reopening. You excited? Do you care? It's exciting. Uh, and ANA is bringing it back. So Yeah, so it's uh, three times a week on Zip Air, I think, and I don't remember if they did it daily or not, but they're going to bring that route back in March, is the plan. Uh, it seems like so much lift for that airport. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, Horizon Pilots got a new contract. Somewhere between 75 and 85% pay rates. Excellent. Once again, raising the question, who's going to finally pay for all this shit? But the passengers. Well, yeah, well, I agree, but they're, they're, and thus far, the passengers have been willing to accept some higher prices, but there is going to eventually be a tipping point or a breaking point, I assume, so we'll see. Well, that's going to come at the cost of profits, but as long as people are willing to pay for it, they don't need to do anything. Yeah. And demand hasn't dropped yet, the airlines say, so everybody predicting a fall off uh, end of the summer. Not yet. Not yet. The world's in London right now. Yeah. 
uh, with flights being canceled. And bizarrely, uh, regulators saying that that's considered uh, an extreme and un- uh, extraordinary circumstance and not covered by EU 261 rules. Uh, so, okay. I'm, I don't even know how to respond to that, but okay. Yeah. I'm, I would be like, no, actually, this was an absolutely a choice made. I guess that someone died, but like, this was a choice you made. This was not a requirement. Yeah. This is not Mother Nature at work. Yeah. So. And then finally, the old Doha airport is back. I didn't realize this. Uh, they've reopened or this week, next week, this week. It started just earlier this week uh, or last week, I guess now, because why we're recording. So on the 15th, on the 15th of September, the old Doha reopened uh, there. And it turns out it's ma- mostly to support uh, travelers coming in for the World Cup. So it seems like it's a limited engagement. But Ethiopian, Etihad, Fly Dubai, Air Arabia, Pegasus out of Turkey, Pakistan International Airways, Nepal Airlines, and Air Cairo all have flights scheduled in the month of September into the old airport. And it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's like, and into October as well. They're basically like, it's all bus gates. It's not a nice airport, but uh, they're using it as overflow capacity, they say, for the World Cup. Looking at some of the markets served, it seems like it's overflow capacity for people to work at the World Cup more than it is for visitors to attend the World Cup. But uh, that's a different debate i could see that and i mean i just can't imagine that hamad is too small for anything given how big that place is yeah but i mean even before world cup stuff they were still had some day like some days and times where they needed these hard stands and it was built to be extended so they could add more contact gates at some point but they didn't fully write it sort of like dubai world central they didn't build out all of the gates structure they're sort of trying to grow in parallel and it's not quite there yet right it's just crazy yeah so interesting collection of airlines um it's kind of hard for me to get too excited about getting that dot since i already have it because i flew there back in the day but uh i don't know that, that, it is an option now you can do that if you want to fly uh to various cities for the next couple months so uh one of our one of our listeners is thinking about doing it uh if you haven't done it before i guess because you if you want to see what a bus gate looks like go for it or just go to charles de gaulle <laughs> or frankfurt or half of europe um anyway well we talked fast we got through a lot of stuff there. Anything else you want to talk about this week? Uh, no. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. For our Patreon subscribers, stick around. We've got some more conversations about Europe coming up. Uh, for everybody else, uh, if you want to be a Patreon subscriber, there's links in the show notes that'll get you there. Uh, leave us a comment or leave us some feedback. Uh, we're at Dots Lines on Twitter. Uh, we're more.smorelines.com on the rest of the internet. Uh, or I guess Dots Lines and Destinations on your favorite podcast application. We tend to show up in lots of places. And uh, we will catch you next time. Take care. Take care.